Well, Christy Doran, I'm I'm not even going to bother with intro this week. I'm not going to ask you how your trip to San Tropez was. Uh, you got back a week ago. It's seven thirty-seven a.m. Friday morning. I reckon I've had about two and a half hours of fairly broken, patchy sleep, sitting in my Melbourne hotel room, uh, and my jaw is still on the floor. At least half of it is probably still at Marvel Stadium. Um, astonished, mate. Uh, take whatever words in the dictionary you want to describe what happened last night. Um, gripping All Blacks, Wallabies, Bledisloe Cup Test Match, one thirty-nine thirty-seven by New Zealand to retain the Cup into a 20th year. Um, but there's only one thing we're talking about, and that's that Matthew Renault decision in the 79th minute, which gave the All Blacks uh, the opportunity to have one last crack at victory, uh, penalised or pinged rather Bernard Foley for time-wasting, awarded a scrum, and it's the decision that's got the whole rugby world talking, not just Australia. You're right. The amount of text messages, uh, WhatsApp messages that have have gone into our phones over the last few hours, it's not just the rugby world that's been captivated by this. A Thursday night match, something that perhaps from the outside or very much from the inside perhaps, um, has you know managed to capture a wider audience, and this was an opportunity to get eyes on TV across the country and across the world on rugby, on international rugby. And the only thing people were talking about, as what Bernard Foley aptly talked about, was the refereeing decision. For for me, look, I just think that we'll break it down more in the moments to come. But if I think about what officiating should be doing at the moment for world rugby they should be looking at foul play and 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 trying to protect the welfare of players more than anything at the moment this was a decision that with all rugby's murky laws goes just just i can't quite fathom how he's come to this decision and and it's it's 79 minutes 9 seconds or something in in in, in the game where he's made it's the 80th minute and it completely changes the match and more than anything, it completely changes a journalist match report when the entire game comes down to the final 90 seconds of the match. Yeah, I've, obviously everyone's got a take on this and you know New Zealanders will see it one way and every Australian will see it another and then the rest of the rugby world is hotly debating it as well. And uh, I guess that's one good thing for us in the media that it, it is worth talking about. Um the report, my report, my verdict is sitting at the top of ESPN.com.au at the moment, the morning after, and that seldom happens after a rugby international. But you're right, it's it's a decision the game can't afford to have. And if we look ahead to next year's World Cup, um, and we will get to breaking it down shortly, that if that's made in the final, then rugby is an international laughing stock. Uh, the third biggest sporting event on the planet, um, if that was to be made in in, in that juncture, um, with the game on the line at Stade de France in September next year, then, you know, people, are, what are they going to think about rugby? Um, tone yeah. deaf. Tone deaf is about the best way I've seen it summed up around the place this morning. Um, I'm going to be reading takes all day, I'm sure. And um, everyone, as we said, is going to have a different view of it. But to to make a, a call like that, in a, uh, you know, with after what had been such a gripping test match, a nine-try test match with a, a stirring comeback from the Wallabies from 31-13 down, um, they were finishing the strong. They had all the momentum and the All Blacks were rattled. There is no doubt about that. Um, to have a game like that decided in, in that fashion is um, 
is criminal. And and like I say, my my jaw at full time. I was looking out the window at the press box there at Marvel Stadium, and it was it was open for fifteen minutes. It was it was stunning. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I think Dave Rennie hit the nail on the head where he said that it lacked feel, um, and I, I completely agree with that. And I thought he his choice of words there were, were bang on the money. Um, by contrast, uh, the presser when you've got Ian Foster saying that the decision's pretty clear cut is just completely disingenuous, and it and it shows a person that is himself rattled. Um, that has only got his thoughts around his own job security, not the wider context of rugby. He was Sam Whitelock, the you know acting skipper with Sam Kane, having been forced off early through injury. He was Sam Whitelock saying that he's never seen it before. This is one of the guys that's played more Test match rugby than anyone in the history of the planet. Uh, it, it must be getting close towards 140 tests by now for Sam Whitelock, and he said that he'd never seen it happen. So. How someone like a Ian Foster can turn around and say that it was a clear-cut decision was completely flabbergasting. Um, you know, Tim Horan's described it as being disgraceful, um, a terrible decision. Matt Giddo also saying the worst call that he's seen and another guy that's played more than 100 test matches for the Wallabies. It, 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 it didn't necessarily um, change the result. The All Blacks, we've seen it in Dunedin in 2017, managed to snatch a game right at the death um, through a, a piece of brilliant rugby and, and sheer belief that they could do that. So the All Blacks may have come back to win that game and, and there's every chance that they make a turnover at, uh, and, at the line out and, and, and go on to win that. But it robbed the watching public, particularly the 53,000 people that were Marvel Stadium, but all those rushing around the world, an opportunity to go, right, the Wallabies have played 80 minutes and won that test. Well, you're right. And it was another thing that Dave mentioned in his post-match press. It denied the players the opportunity to sort the game out themselves. Now, yeah. they, the Wallabies, by my count, I think would have had about 30-odd seconds probably to kill left of, of time um, to get up and win their own line-out ball, which, let's face it, is, is shaky, particularly when Falau Fahing is throwing in. Um, you know, the All Blacks could have got up and, and stolen that ball. They could have marched 30 metres back upfield, strung 10 phases together, got a penalty kick to the corner and had another crack at a rolling ball, but they weren't given the opportunity to do so. And the Wallabies weren't given the opportunity, conversely, to get up and win their own ball, probably put two or three phases together, maybe not even that, and then kick the ball out. In, instead, we've we've got a referee who's decided, well, we've certainly gone a long way to deciding a, a gripping test match with, you know, a call that will go down in Bledisloe folklore now. And I, I, Ian Payton's described it as a, a square up for the tre- Trevor Chapel underarm delivery in terms of trans-Tasman relations in his article this morning for the, for the Herald, which I, I thought was, you know, uh, a good thing to pinpoint. But... Um, it's it's laughable. It's just laughable. And you know, as you said, you've you've had people, you know, not essentially rugby fans say, look, you know, this is what we tell you all the time, and and here it is underlined in in perfect, you know, as, as obvious as the nose on your face. It's it'll just the, the stink will, will linger for a long time. Yeah, it will, and the pain will linger for a long time. And it's and, and the thing that frustrates me is that if the Wallabies go to Eden Park and lose next week. Very quickly, things have forgotten around the bravery, around the character of the side. This is a side that went to Perth and was reduced to 
14, 13 men that managed to come away with an outstanding win after the loss of Quade Cooper. This is a side that's gone to Mendoza that um, managed to beat Argentina following the withdrawal of, of Michael Hooper, the injuries to Dave Parecki and Quade Cooper uh, you know, shortly after halftime. A side that has the hallmarks of one that has a lot of character around it. But at the end of the day in high-performance sport, People forget about character if there's not wins. And unfortunately, it's the sort of match that can be forgotten um, very, very quickly, particularly if the year starts to become pear-shaped. Look, I think the other thing that's worth pointing out here is, uh, before we go on to analyse other aspects of the game, is that Richie Moang has taken 85 seconds to take a a penalty in the 71st minute. Um, Before that, a, a high tackle um, uh, to a clearing player. I think it might have been Andrew Kellaway that, that gets onto a ball and has a high shot from Rico Iwani. Bernard Foley takes 40 seconds there to take um, that, that penalty and, and kick towards touch. Um, the referee has, has said time off very quickly and has only has blown time back on a matter of seconds later. I think it was seven seconds later and it was within 10 seconds that the referee has gone on to award Free kick. Now, the referee is entitled to do that. We've seen at scrum times, um, particularly in provincial domestic competitions around the world, where if a, a scrum half doesn't feed the ball into the scrum, that and, and the scrum either goes down or they fail to use the ball, that it's been reversed, that the opposition team has been allowed the ball. But for a penalty, it's just extraordinary for that to have happened. A, a team right in their you know, pegged in their 22, a game that's in the 80th minute where the war of attrition, which rugby very much is, starts to become more and more taxing. Uh, an opportunity where Bernard Foley is looking around at his Ford pack who are still in a huddle going, guys, you know, we've now got to face up. And it's all well and good to have Lalakai Fichetti on your right-hand side going, guys, we've got to kick the ball. He's not actually doing anything at that point in time. There's three, two backs, three backs to his right-hand side that are focused squarely on the referee. Foley's looking at his forward pack. He might not have even necessarily heard it. We know how loud it was. One of the loudest atmospheres that you can ever possibly imagine in Australian rugby, which parts throughout the country has been very quiet for a long time. So, so much to consider in this one moment and a huge call. And I feel desperately sad um, and for, for Bernard Foley because he was brilliant after a shaky start, had a phenomenal second half and the, the parallels between his comeback after a three-year exile to Quade Cooper after a four-year exile, almost a year after his stunning return against the Springboks, was uh, immense, and 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 you've got to tip your hat to Bernard Foley because he played very well. You do, and I think it's a point to make here. That there's some cross cultural, you know, stuff at work here. That you know, Mathieu Ranel is a, is a Frenchman, as we know, and perhaps if it was a you know an Aussie or an English or a New Zealand ref or a South African, whatever, that there might have been more of an interaction of okay, time off, go to Bernard Foley saying. We're going to play now, not just kind of keep yelling at him from, you know, four or five metres away as Bernard was trying to, you know, get the attention of his forwards, as you mentioned, in the huddle on the own line there. The, the, the situation called for, okay, stop, you know, let's just take the sting out of this moment right now. Time is off. Bernard, you kick the ball now. Let's play. Go. 
um, had that actually been, you know, more clearly uh, outlined to the Wallabies number 10. Uh, and this is where I'm saying that a bit of cross-cultural stuff comes in that perhaps, you know, that's um, the significance of, of a Frenchman um, and we want world rugby to, to bring through referees and he's among, you know, the elite tier clearly, but um just something to, to consider there around, you know, just a, a little bit of, um, you know, just take take the sting out of this moment. Let's finish this game off properly. Um, and, yeah, just uh, using a bit of common sense. Yeah, and my, my final point will be on it. The amount of times that a referee will say to a halfback when he's about to clear the ball at the base of a rack, use it, use it nine. And you, have you ever seen it pulled up? No. You know, it would be... It, Every yep. single game, there will be a referee that will say that on multiple occasions, and and that that's the head scratching nature of, of this one. It's you're right, the five second limit there. I, I mean, I've seen six, seven, eight, nine. I reckon ten, eleven seconds sometimes before you know the halfbacks of of every team around the world go on to to put the boxy up. So yeah, yeah, let's leave it there uh, because there's so much more to to talk about from this uh, gripping encounter. One of the best splitters lows that that I can remember a privilege to be there in the stadium. Um, All Blacks out to a 10 nil lead. Uh, The Wallabies did, they had one phase before the 10 minute mark. And that was the drop kickoff from Jed Holloway and Andrew Killaway scooping the ball up and being dragged into touch. And with that start, what we've known from previous Wallabies starts, you thought, Oh my God, what's, what are we going to be in for here tonight? Uh, The Wallabies could get absolutely hammered, Um, but they rallied, they settled. Um, Obviously Killaway not getting the ball down with an unmarked Tom Wright outside him was a setback for Australia. Um, still, they, they get back upfield again and uh, work the rolling ball. And then Rob Valentini peels off. And um, they then, there's a real genuine momentum shift, isn't there? Because Dalton Papali'i is sin-binned as well for bringing down the mall in what would have been, I think, a penalty try otherwise. Um, but the Wallabies are unable to find that try on the All Blacks line. Um, some brilliant defence and a great turnover from Quinn Tupaya. Um, and they clear their line, go up field and we have the first bit of drama for the night which is the Darcy Swain yellow cards on top of the Tom Wright yellow card for cynical play um it's an interesting one that one it's a, it's a law probably a lesser known law in the law book as there are many in world rugby's extensive law book about attacking the limbs of of players at the at the breakdown um how did you see that one a really divisive issue, and and I still and it's interesting that both ref, um, both coaches Dave Rennie and, and Ian Foster had different takes on it. Foster saying that he should be suspended for it um, was pretty outraged by it, and clearly Quintapaya gets a, a long term injury out of it, which is not what you want to see. And I don't think anyone in the game or or, or spectators like to see something like that. But you know, you can't you can't. It, referee and you can't adjudicate um, on on injury uh, because we could have seen something similar potentially with Flau Fianga who was lifted above the horizontal, horizontal with his legs clearly above the horizontal but because of his own body weight and how he's positioned himself to the ground doesn't actually have his neck towards it but in fact lands on his back and only a penalty is awarded. Um, on the other hand, Dave Rennie thought it was quite tough and, and uh, he said that at the press conference, look, I, I thought it was a penalty really at most. And, and I say that because this isn't a player that's come from a million miles away. This is a guy that was right at the breakdown that initially, I think, was involved in the, in the tackle 
uh, and then comes from the other side. Clearly, there's a couple of guys over the ball, and he initially um, comes from a slight angle. You could penalise him from coming from the side potentially, but he initially tries to come in, I think, almost underneath his um, abdomen potentially, and clearly he's low to the ground. And what else can he go for? And I think he's attempted to bring him down by the legs, but I don't think he necessarily attacks the legs. This isn't like a cannonball of what we see from a lot of chop tackles from hookers all around the world. I thought it was unfortunate, but I didn't think it was warranted a red card. I can understand a yellow, but I don't think it was necessarily the right call. Probably see it slightly differently. I think it was a yellow. I must admit, when the first few replays came up and us were all in the press box going, what the hell are we we're looking at here? And then they finally found the, the right angle. Um, mm. And it was pointed out to me by Jeff Parks, actually, who, who writes for the Raw down here from Melbourne. And um, there's a bit of the hip drop rugby league tackle in it. Um, and I, I tended to agree with that. It's, you know, as you mentioned, you, you, injuries are one thing, clearly, and, and we, you know, they happen in the game. But this, uh, I felt with the positioning of uh, Tupaya's legs, how wide apart they were, um, clearly, as you mentioned, there's, you know, there's less and less, you know, body uh, surface area to to attack sometimes at the breakdown because of how low the players get on the ball. Um, Just the way he went in on it, um, I've, yeah, I think a yellow was right. Um, I'll be surprised if World Rugby or probably, sorry, Sansa Judiciary uh, take it any further. Um, I, I would think it might probably fit into the warning category, um, even if it does go to a to a red card. Um, but it's, I know, on top of his red card against England earlier in the year uh, for that headbutt on on Johnny Hill, is this something we we have to worry about with with Darcy Swain? Does he have to get this stuff out of his game? Good question. I, I think absolutely he'll be looking at it. Won't he? Um, you'd be mad not to, and I think. Players all around the world probably should be taking notice of that one as well. Look, whether or not you you think it was a red card or yellow card, I think we can accept that, that it's it's a penalty um, at the very least. And it, it, it once again continues to shine a light on how murky the, the breakdown is. We've seen the breakdown, the, the, the officiating of it change so much throughout the life of spin of rugby from, from, you know, rucking from coming from the side, from being allowed to come from the side to having to come over. We see players continually not um, when, when they get on the ball, have a real active motion of getting over the ball, having hands in the ball, not going past the ball and then really pulling up to try to steal the ball. We, we, we seldom see the actual perfect technique and that's because it's so difficult. So, it, it really vexed subject, um, but but I agree. I think it, it's it's something that Darcy Swain has to start to perfect um, and 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 turn around because does something like that in a World Cup knockout match can become extremely crucial and, and clearly have a, a role on um, whether or not a, a side is successful or not. Because we saw in the same moment, and, and as you said, cynical play for Tom Wright where he was sin binned. Going down to 13, man, New Zealand blew two op- try-scoring opportunities in that very moment. They probably blew a third shortly after their try, shortly after half-time. So they probably should have scored at least three tries throughout that period, not the one that they came away with. 
Yeah, and I wonder what how much we read into that and this situation of this All Blacks team and the circus it has surrounded Ian Foster. Um, we know after that that this Wallabies comeback did happen and it was was pretty special from 31-13 down, having, as you mentioned, played 10 minutes with with 13 and a further 10 uh, with 14 when Jake Gordon was, was sinned in for bringing... Which, 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 by the way, was, I think, a staggering call. You know, Jake Gordon even said to the referee, do you want to have a look at that one? Because he just got bumped to the sideways. He didn't actually bring down the mall whatsoever. That was Scott Barrett falling over himself. I thought if a, if a halfback who's 90 kilograms is bringing down that when he gets bumped completely to the side, oh, I thought that was a bizarre call in itself. And poor little wildebeest in a stampede. Um, yeah, so, like... And then, and that space later on, the All Blacks, they were rattled. Um, yeah. The Wallabies, I put this to Dave Rennie, I said last night, was this the best stretch of rugby or past period of rugby that your team has played since you've been coaching? And he he, he did agree with that. And you'd have to say, yes, the three tries that they they scored were, were brilliant. Um, certainly, you know, Foley laying on the two for... For Andrew Kellaway and when that first, when he first poked his head through the line there and found that that offload, which, you know, there's another talking point again, uh, Ian Foster saying that, um, you know, the the referee, the TMO should have halted that uh, that penalty, that, that conversion, sorry, from from Bernard Foley so the pass could be more properly scrutinised. Um, I haven't seen an angle on it as yet that suggests it was forward. Um then they get down again. Uh, they try the rolling mall. Uh, it clearly isn't going anywhere. They work a bit of a backline move. Foley throws a sweeping left to right pass that hits a, a flying Andrew Kellaway. And and this time, this time he does have the pace to get outside uh, Richie Moonga and and get across the line. And and even then, you know, I back to what was that at that point? Uh, back to three three points, I I guess. Um, and then to uh, to get the uh, Richie Morgan steadies the ship with a penalty goal, and then the third try, the third Wallabies try was the pick of the bunch. Um, Corabetti and and Pete Samu had an absolute whale of a game, a whale of a game, um, combining down that short side. As good a one-two play as you'll see in the corner, and uh, Bernie kicks it from the sideline. It's um, a hell of a comeback, and and something that'll probably you know be be forgotten in all this that. At thirty-one, thirteen down against the greatest rugby side on the planet, um, potentially or clearly not at the moment, but in the history of the game, um, plenty of Australian sides have gone on to lose by, you know, 20, 30, 35 points. Given what happened last night with the cards, um, showed a lot of character. But as you said, we'll, we'll probably forget about that. It was a it was a special comeback. Yeah, it certainly was, and and, and we've seen this while we saw it have when they've had momentum they've looked very threatening you know against England um they did they looked they, they capitalized in quick succession in the second half in Perth they did so in Brisbane that weren't able to go on and, and finish the job a couple of you know we, we've already spoken about the the blunders there you know but but um this was was polished for a long period of time and uh, you're right in saying that Pete Samu had a great game. Um, this is a game I thought well suited to Pete Samu, where particularly on the fringe he's allowed to operate a little bit more. We know that he's got a, a brilliant skill set where he can get the ball away, that he can offload, um, that he shows his pace. Um, Andrew Kellaway, 
we've mentioned his name a number of times, but didn't he just look at home at fullback? And and I think he's just perfectly suited to that. And when we talk about coming up about what changes there might be, we'll maybe come back to the configuration of, of the back three. But he was he was excellent um, after obviously not being able to score that opening try. We, we saw... Um, uh, Bernard Foley have a great game and it, and it came off the back of Jake Gordon not necessarily having it all his own right way. Um, uh, Rob Valentini was was monumentous, I thought, with his ball carrying too. Dave Parecki had a good game. There's lots of good things to come out of that where players started to stand up and didn't seem overwhelmed by the situation. Fraser McWright added some pace and some tempo and some on-ball prowess in the second half when he came over too. Um, to tell me, uh, what do you think? Uh, we know that Dave Rennie at his team announcement on Tuesday said that his preference would have been to give Noah Lolisio another game to work on continuity. I've, for quite a few weeks, been talking up Bernard Foley. I know that you spoke to him earlier in the year. Um, but I, I've always thought that Bernard Foley's got a lot more to give. Tell me, Noah Lolisio is going to be fit next week to play at Eden Park. Um, we know that there's only three picks that you can take to a, a World Cup at this point in time. That may or may not change. You never know. Right, who are you playing next week in the number 10 jersey? Now, that is a good question. Uh, look, I, I think on the strength of, of last night um, and how the game finished in particular, I think Bernard Foley deserves a shot at redemption. Um, not that he was the one who you know, played uh, the Wallabies out of this one. And, and uh, while he was the, the perpetrator at fault, it was a decision that we've discussed at length and we won't go on into any further now. Um, I, I think given what happened, he he deserves um, the chance to to right the wrong next week in Auckland, um, particularly because I'm not sure where the situation sits in terms of his spring tour participation given what we saw last year and some of the discussions that have happened between Rugby Australia and, and I, other on that I've been told that no uh, that, that Bernard Foley's club is very supportive of Bernard Foley playing international rugby. Well there you go. That would seemingly be at odds with um Suntory uh from last year. Um so yeah, I'd be happy to see Bernie start next week and then return to Noah um, for, you know, at least the first three tests of, of the spring tour to try and get that that continuity, unless Bernard comes out next week and, and, and leads the the team to um, glory at Eden Park after 36 years of, of utter pain. Um, I, I think you can't deny him. He's, he's answered um, a, a bit of an SOS for this team in a time of need. Um, he, he's come into the group. He's he spent the the past few weeks training, getting up to speed, um, and he didn't look like a guy who hadn't played rugby. Um, for what are since, we talking about? Since, about, since the end of May, about yeah, four, five, four months. Five, four months. Um, that uh, you know, that didn't hadn't played a test since the the twenty nine team World Cup, as we talked about so much in the lead up. I think you, you've got to give him another shot. Um, We've we've spoken a lot about trying to get Noah continuity. Um, I know this is probably going to seem a little bit contradictory to what we might have said in the past, but um, I think there's a situation certainly that that Bernard starts next week. Um, you give those players who were there last night, um, I think, the opportunity at redemption um, across the board. Uh, I, I don't think that there'd be too many 
changes. I wouldn't be bringing Fraser McWright back in. Pete Summer, I'd stick with that same back row. Rob Leota, you would think, would be in some pretty heavy doubt. James Slipper said he wasn't sure about the extent of his calf injury, would would get a scan today, um, had never done one before. So there's two players who you think would be in probably a fair bit of doubt. Um, but, yeah, it would be Bernie for me. What about you? Yeah, I, I absolutely would. And I've been a um, strong advocate for promoting youth and, and particularly guys like Fraser McWright and Noel Osio. But you, you've got to find out more about Bernard Foley, I think. And we saw a, a guy that... Um, seemingly without the weight of the world on his shoulders, be able to express himself. Um, we've, we've questioned the length of Bernard Foley's kick in the past, but we saw last night him have a clearing kick up towards halfway, right towards the end of the game. That, to me, shows this guy's got some, some strength in his legs. We saw him land a, a penalty from beyond 40 metres. Um, we saw him run to the line, offload to Andrew Kelloway, that's a, a playmaker who's confident that he's back towards his best. I think you're right. Now I will see will have chances on the spring tour, and I think he should be afforded it. I, I would be putting Noel Osio on the bench, and I would be giving him the number 22 jersey, and I would be bringing in Suliyatsi Vunavalu. I think now is the time with the Bledisloe Cup um, lost. I would be putting him on the right wing and I would either be having Tom Wright or Jordan Bataille in the number 23 jersey and allowing them to cover multiple positions. I think we need to find out more about Punabalu. I think the back three lacks size, um, lacks aerial prowess, and it lacks someone who is has got any form of size without um, Samu Karevi in the midfield. Like the, the tallest player, I think, in that back line is just about Tom Wright, who's 186 centimetres. That's not particularly talk or imposing i think there there's not a not a single reason where Vunavalu shouldn't be thought of i think and i think that'll give him an, an added dimension and now's the time that i'd be pulling that trigger tell me uh there was a lot made about thursday night football in the lead up um i thought it was a, a great event last night um every, despite everything that, that's gone on um, and I'm a big supporter. Hamish McLennan um, at a stand-up announcing the um, the extension or a new partnership with RM Williams, uh, which there's a few memes and a few jokes about it on social media and, and how that fits in the rugby fans' psyche, um, said that they would look at it more of it in the future. And I think on the strength of last night, 53, touch over 53,000 fans. Um, I haven't seen the ratings yet, but you would imagine they would be strong given how the game unfolded um would you like to see more of it yeah i had people messaging me last week going why are we doing it on a thursday and wallaby's messaging going why are we playing on thursday surely that shows what test rugby should be played on saturday and i i would challenge them days ago going well hang on a moment it's in the midst the middle of of finals we've got the afl final uh semi-finals obviously on the weekend and, and clearly uh nrl finals too State of origin is, is played on a Wednesday, generally speaking. Why not? Why not have clear airtime where for a lot of the nation, there's no sport that's played on the Thursday night? I thought it was astute thinking and forward thinking from the two respective nations being New Zealand and, and Rugby Australia. Interestingly, the, the two um, administrations were seated together last night at, at Marvel Stadium um, in, the, in the Rugby Australia 
sweet, I dare say, that there would have been some tense words towards the end and, and clearly Hamish McLennan and uh, the, the Rugby Australia president as well was there down at the, the ceremony when New Zealand was was awarded the Bursley Cup. I, I imagine that would have been a tense thing, but he spoke earlier in the day, Hamish McLennan, about about the fact that that state of origin is played on a Wednesday. I thought it was the right idea. I don't think I'd want to see every test match on a Saturday, but for a standalone match, one, one a year, when it's in the midst of finals fever, I think it was the right, the, the right move. Yeah, you're right. I, they really did have that state of origin feel about it, didn't you? That there was something midweek to to look forward to uh, while not being a Wednesday night like origin is. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I think, yeah, as you say, um, you don't want to see every test then, but um, I think there's the scope for certainly at least one, one a year to be plonked on a, on a Thursday night. Yeah, for, for, and that's only for nations, I think, like England or New Zealand. I, I don't think you could do it against uh, team, uh, international sides like Scotland or, no. or even Ireland for that matter. I, I think it really needs a, a, a powerhouse nation, a, a traditional rival that will captivate the audience to, to have a, a midweek test. Christy, if you're an All Blacks Fan, if you're a New Zealander this morning, how are you feeling? Do you think about the situation? Yes, the Bledisloe Cup is retained for a 20th year, um, but clearly there are still some some issues with this team. Um, some of the skill execution last night uh, was was pretty subpar. You mentioned um, the the Bowden Barrett, sorry, the Rico Ioani pass to Bowden Barrett when. Um, it was about a three-on-one, went behind and, and Bodie coughed it up. Um, there was the Hoskins, a 2-2 kick ahead there uh, in the backfield when probably yeah. a, a simple pass to Brady Retallick would have done the job. Um, and a couple of others I'm, I'm sure I'm missing, but those are the, the two that, that stood out. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, I, job done, I guess. And certainly now they are in the box seat to you know, to to win the rugby championship, um, you would have to say, pending what happens in, in Argentina this weekend. Um, but it, it's got to be a feeling of, of uneasiness still, doesn't it? Because the way, you know, that this was a, it was a bit of a spare parts Wallabies team, wasn't it? If, you know, if we'd, if Dave Rennie had named this team at the start of the season, um, you would have been laughed out of town. He, you know, as I put it in a preview he he might have been joining the Centrelink queue or whatever its equivalent is back across the ditch but um they were basically at, at full strength apart from Artie Sevilla um and maybe throw Jack Goodhue in there but we haven't seen him in for a for a long time now um and yet they they had this game won um they let the Wallabies back into it um and were you know only in large part saved by um a call we won't continue to talk about um how are you as a New Zealander at the moment, given everything that's gone on through the year and, and what we saw last night? Well, we know that there, there were injuries last night for New Zealand. Sam Kane leaving, uh, forcing Dalton Papali'i on early. Um, uh, David Havili forced off. Uh, you've, you've got Quintapire as well with a, a, a devastating season-long injury. Those sorts of things disrupt the back line con- considerably. Yep. So I think you've got to... Um, Preface your your analysis on on the absence of of those guys, even if a Jordan Barrett moves into the into the centres where he's played a lot for the Hurricanes. Um, it's a, it's a combination that they probably haven't trained with much, and and something that didn't quite click. And, and, and you're right to highlight the the blown tries either side of half time. Um, look, I, I thought you know let's not understate the performance from 
in Australia, I thought they were were very good. They were completely up for it. I thought their opening 10 minutes were shocking. And once again, it's continue, continues the, the 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 sleepy starts of the will from the Wallabies who have now conceded first points in all but one test this year. And that's a real concern. But I thought the All Blacks, you know, the one or two issues at the scrum um, where you might have been surprised that the Wallabies were awarded penalties. But I think on the whole, um, New Zealand wasn't wasn't as bad as as or, or I don't I don't think they were necessarily subpar. I just think that the Wallabies played quite well. Yep. Uh, there you go. Uh, all right, mate. I, I don't think I've got too many more notes um, left on on my sheet here. Um, we've got Argentina and South Africa to come this weekend, as we mentioned. Uh, that'll wrap up round five of the rugby championship. Um, we all know that the history uh, of Eden Park next week. It's like the Bledisloe history. It's it's thirty six years though, as opposed to twenty now, as it is with the Bledisloe. Um, is there any way next week you can see the Wallabies going to to Eden Park and and ending that drought? Will this be the motivating factor that takes them to an to another level, um, or will this be just too tough a pill to swallow? Where we might actually see with with Artie Sevilla coming back into that All Blacks team, and we know the value he offers. Um, will this could this go the other way? Well, you, you'll see from the Wallabies' perspective. Players like an Angus Bell that comes back into it will probably fit potentially Taniela Tupo. Um, we know that Hunter Paisami and, and Noah Lolosio will be, be fit whether or not either of them play. I thought Alakothaketi was superb um, uh, in his you know, one of his first test matches as well. His second one starting this year, clearly after playing in Argentina. I think it'll be very difficult for the Wallabies to get up for this one. It will take a good day or two to get over it, particularly if you if you Bernard Foley. But you're right; it, it depends how they channel this energy and how they channel this anger and this disappointment. Because you look at the international sides, any team around the world, it can go one or two ways, can't it? This can be a galvanising sort of thing, or it can be something where if the going gets tough next week in New Zealand, do they have? Um, the, the the mental fortitude to respond like they did last night where they overturned a deficit to go ahead. Um, it'll show a lot about the character next week and I think more so the character off the back of what they've endured. Uh, the Wallabies are, are absolutely well-cut bolters. Once again, like they've slipped, they're going to slip now to ninth, I think, in the, in the world rugby rankings, which is, extraordinary, um, uh, an absolute all-time low, having already hit an all-time low at eighth this year. But I don't think they're eighth or ninth in the world. There is not much separating these top six, seven nations in the world. You'd you like to think that there are a chance. History suggests that they're not. But we know that the Springboks in, in 2018 managed to go to New Zealand and, and they started their World Cup charge by an incredible performance in New Zealand. The Wallabies have got to follow in the lead of C. Khaleesi Springboks in 2018. Absolutely. Excellent point. And uh, interesting to note, Hamish McLennan uh, and that same R.M. Williams uh, doorstop yesterday uh, confirming that uh, that Dave Rennie was very much the coach through uh, to the World Cup next year. He's got the full support of the board. And uh, on the strength of last night, you would have to say that that is a good decision. Uh, All right, mate. um, I don't know what's on today for you. I'm sure it's going to be a busy one. Uh, I've got about an hour to get to the airport. So... And I love you and leave you. Uh, been tremendous. Um, I think we'll be we'll be talking about this one till we're we're blue in the face. Um, extraordinary night. Um, and uh, yeah, great to chat as always.
great to chat. Look forward to doing it all again. And, and don't despair well of his fans. Get around them, support them, and support international rugby because there's a lot to celebrate about this great game. Here, here. Cool, mate.